This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Okay, look at me and tell me where this greeting is a greeting of honor. Anyone know? I'm sticking out my tongue for those of you listening on the podcast. Anyone? Polynesia, close, sort of. The Maori culture uses an interesting greeting, but that in, in Tibet, if someone sticks out their tongue at you, it's a greeting of honor. In Tibet, if they stick their tongue out at you. And here's why. Okay, so there was a, a, a wicked king who was believed to have a black tongue. And when the monks would travel throughout the land, they wanted to demonstrate that they didn't have a black tongue, so they would stick their tongue out. And that greeting caught on. And in that culture, it's, a, it's, a, it's honorable. In our culture, it's really awkward, right? <laughs> uh, Wendy mentioned uh, Maori culture, right? In New Zealand, they do something called sharing breath, where you press your forehead up against another person, and you put your nose together. And it's an honor to have someone press their forehead against you. So I want everyone to stand up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of y'all don't even like shaking hands and passing the peace. In Greenland, they press their nose and upper lip and breathe on each other. Some shake hands, some kiss cheeks. Have you ever been to a place where there's the kiss and the kiss? Right? That's not, we don't do that in the South. Some simply bow. I'm like, hey, let's bow. There's no touching going on. We're not sharing any germs. We're just bowing, right? But there's all these different kinds of greetings that people make in different cultures in different places. They communicate relationship. They communicate affection. They communicate uh, honor. And in this last chapter of Romans, I don't know if you noticed this, but one of the words that is repeated over 20 times is the word greet. And it's an imperative, which means it's a command. Paul is saying to greet these people in the Lord. He is wanting to employ a, a, a phrase that's part of the process of connecting. Sometimes it's communicated directly, sometimes it's indirectly. But when you greet someone, you're paying honor to someone. And it could be in an official capacity. There's a dignitary that you're wanting to honor in a special way. It can even mean in the Bible that word translated that you give your very presence to a person. So greet is repeated so often in this, this message. That's, that's the name of the title, greetings. Greetings, brothers and sisters. So who does Paul greet in this passage? First of all, he greets friends. Uh, and I think it's important for us to know this because, you know, we've been dealing with some, some complicated theological truth throughout this, this letter, right? Romans is a complicated book. And there are times when I've labored over the text and thought, I really don't know what God is saying here. So I'm going to share some things with you that I think God is saying. It's, it's a complicated book. And there's a lot of theology and people have spent their whole lives reading and writing about the book of Romans. So it's this amazing theological work that Paul gives to his friends. He's sharing with people that he has an intimate relationship with. He's not just some seminary professor who has given lectures to people that he doesn't know. And we can tell that because look at all of the people that he's greeting in this text. And there are many other names that are listed throughout the Bible. He is writing to people that he knows, that he has had some former relationship with or that he's heard of. They're people that he really cares for. 
He's connected to them because of their common mission, which is to share the word of God with the people of the world. Look at what he says in verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Uh, this is a couple that Paul met when he was in Corinth, who themselves actually had to leave Rome due to an edict from Emperor Claudius. They became fellow workers with Paul, and they spent a lot of time together at the church in Ephesus, we learn in Acts chapter 18. And maybe it was there uh, during a riot that took place in that city that they literally stuck their necks out for Paul. That word, uh, it means to, it says, means to, to risk your life, to put maybe your neck under a sword for the sake of another person, right? You remember this story, there's this riot that's taking place and they're wanting to get Paul to kill him. Maybe they put themselves in harm's way to try to serve him. And now they live in Rome again and they're continuing to minister, having a house church in their, in their community. So when you say this phrase, like someone says, hey, he, they really stuck their neck out for me. You know, that person gave me a recommendation when I needed a job. Uh, they supported me when I, when I was struggling with encouragement, or maybe even they gave me some money, or they, they helped to coach me through a difficult season of life. But maybe uh, Pr Prisca and Aquila literally stuck their necks out. Maybe they were saying, we'll save your life. We don't know for sure, but for whatever reason, they were really important to Paul. They were people that were significant to him. Why? Well, you know the old saying that says, if you want a friend, be a friend. And it was, seems that, that Prisca and Aquila were a friend to Paul. You know, when we love and care for people unconditionally, they usually respond with kindness and loyalty. That doesn't happen all the time. But Paul is loving people. He's giving the word to them. He is caring for them. And he sends greetings because of this friendship to them and to, not, and to many other people. And so part of being a follower of Jesus is friendship, is having a deep connection with other people. And friends, it's not as easy as it used to be, right? Lots of studies show uh, that uh, isolation is more of a problem now than it ever has been. And some even say that loneliness is an epidemic in our culture. And that's even before the isolation that we experienced through COVID. Loneliness, as defined by mental health professionals, is a gap between the level of connectedness you want and what you have. It's not really the same as social isolation, which is a codified measure of a person's contacts. Loneliness is a subjective feeling. Do I, do I feel connected to people? Would I like to feel more connected to people? You can have a lot of contact with people, but still feel lonely. But in small doses, loneliness is like hunger or thirst. It's a healthy signal that you're missing something and you need to seek out what you need, right? When you feel thirsty, what's your body telling you? You need to take a drink. And so when you feel lonely, you need to be connected in relationship. And what does that require? It requires a little bit of vulnerability. And you don't have to say to everybody, hey, I'm really lonely, I need friendship. <laughs> because sometimes that makes people go, I don't want to be your friend. But we all have that feeling. Do I really feel connected? Do people know me? Am I known? And not everyone is going to know us. That's not going to be a realistic thing. No, we want that. But the way to be connected and the way to feel connected 
is to be a friend to someone. Like Paul is a friend to this community of people. He's given himself to them. And in the giving of himself and in the teaching of the word and the serving and the loving and the tears that they shed, they become connected. And the feeling of isolation, the feeling of loneliness begins to, to subside because they really have relationships, because they've got something more that connects them more deep, deeply than the place where they live or a, a family heritage or a school that they went to. But it's Jesus. It's an abiding connection to the person of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, friends, that's what we have. And it's what we can share with one another. And that happens through a word of encouragement. It happens as we serve and, and love on each other. And look at all these people that he's connected to. He's been traveling all over the region. Look at verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Hunia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. What is a kinsman? Right, a kinsman literally is someone with whom you share a father. Now, do these people have the same lineage as Paul? Well, it's possible. But what Paul is likely communicating to is that we have the same family now because we are in Christ. We have the same heavenly father. And that allows us to connect deeply and to understand because we're together in this journey. You know, one of the things uh, that's hard for us today um, is that we have so much access to so many people, right? So many TV channels, so many podcasts, uh, timelines on social media feeds. There's an endless supply of friends. But we, we all know, we've learned this by now, having interacted on social media, that, that while we may be friends with the people that we're friends with online, those, uh, those channels and those timelines don't offer us the kind of deep connection that we really do. In fact, it's been shown that those, those uh, timelines often inhibit us from feeling connected because what we're viewing is someone else's life at its very best, and then we feel like, oh, I don't have that life. I don't have those connections. I don't have those experiences. And so when you turn those things off, then you, ought, you begin to feel better about you. Even if you go take a walk in the woods by yourself, you begin to feel better. But this sense that we have been with people but we don't have connection. How many times have you ever been to a party and then you left and you feel like you didn't really talk with anyone in a significant way? Or worse yet, how many times have you come to church and felt like you didn't connect with anybody in a meaningful way? Right? And part of that is the way we understand coming to church. Right? If we come to church and we think simply sitting here and listening to some sermons or singing songs is the church, we're only just getting a little part of it. Yes, it's an important thing to hear the word preached and to sing songs together and the, and the prayers. I'm not wanting to diminish that. But let's not overemphasize and realize that like, it's the community and the connection that we have as the body of Christ that makes us a church together. And so that's why we emphasize joining a group or participating in a class, creating some kind of space or opportunity for you to serve where you can be connected in relationship in a more meaningful way. And when you take a step into one of those groups or classes or events, you're taking a risk, right? Are people going to embrace me? Are they going to accept me? Are they going to like me? Those are feelings that are, we all have. It's like coming out of the, the line at, at the cafeteria in middle school and you got your tray of food. And you're looking out of the cafeteria and you're thinking, where am I going to sit? Now, you guys don't think, where am I going to sit? Because every one of you sits in your assigned seat on Sunday mornings. That's how I can tell if you're at church or not, if your seat's empty, right? 
<laughs> you don't have that feeling here. But what, remember when you first came in, you're like, where do I sit? Am I going to feel embraced? Am I going to feel connected? And we want you to feel connected. I want you to feel connected. But we, we can't all connect with each other all the time. So that's why taking the next step and saying, I'm going to start serving. I'm, you know what? I'm going to go to that BFF thing. I'm going to sign up and serve. I don't know what I can do, but I'm just going to show up and be in a relationship. Or, or I'm going to be a greeter. I'm going to just welcome people to come. I, I'm, I'm the biggest introvert in the church, but I'm going to be a greeter, said no one. But so by connecting and giving ourselves, that's how we create friendships. Um, I can't remember who said this. Maybe it was Bonhoeffer, but it said that community is a discipline and a reality. And that means that, that the reality part is that because we're in Christ, we are already a community. We're already connected to each other. So it's a reality. But it's also a discipline. It, it means that you have to work at it. And like if you're in relationship with anyone, you know it takes effort because there are miscommunications. Somebody stuck their tongue out at you and you thought it was offensive and that person really meant to honor you. Well, that's a vast communication difference. But how many of our conflicts and issues that we face, even with our closest friends, are misunderstandings? And so getting together to talk through those things and to say we're together and we're connected in relationship, that's how we can be the church together. And that's a witness to the world. Right? The church is a community of people that love and serve and care. So Paul greets his friends. The next thing I want to kind of focus on is that it stuck out to me is that Paul greets women in this passage. Yes, he greets many men, but it's notable to me how many women are listed because in those days, women didn't have the same leadership roles that they do in culture today. Paul is emphasizing the women in the community. Nine different women are addressed in this chapter alone. Phoebe, Prisca, or Priscilla, which is the same name, Mary, Hunia, Trophania, Trophosa, Rufus's mother, Julia, and Nerus's sister. Paul greets Phoebe, and it's thought that Phoebe was actually the person who brought the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Can you imagine carrying that package? Right? It's not like it was emailed and copies. It was like a scroll of some sort carried. And the privilege that it would have been to say this letter comes from our friend Paul. Here it is. Let's open it and see what he says. Now, she was from uh, Chantre, Corinth's eastern port city. She was a deacon in that community. He gives her the designation prostatus, which means leader, president, presiding officer, guardian, or patron. And so this emphasis is on patronage, which means that it's likely that Paul was greatly in her debt possibly even financially. We can glean that she has some level of wealth or independence. She's not defined by anyone but God. She's Paul's co-worker, just like the men in Jesus' community. Paul then also greets Prisca, which is the diminutive form of Priscilla. She appears not only in Romans, but also in 1 Corinthians 16, Acts 18, and 2 Timothy. She's always mentioned with Aquila, her husband, both of them likely tent makers. Phoebe was a very important, well-traveled missionary and church leader whose work on occasion intersected with that of Paul. A significant person that Paul says, send greetings to my partner, to my friend in ministry. Paul then also greets these, quote, workers in the Lord, Trephania and Trephosa. Now, we don't know exactly what they did. They are told to us to be workers of the, the Lord. But the verb trafeo, which both of their names begin with, 
means to lead a life of self-indulgence, to live in luxury, pleasure, splendor, even carousal. So what does that mean? Well, we don't really know. Maybe they were wealthy and they've left their life of opulence and begun to serve the Lord in some way. It also could mean that they had left the sex industry and entered into ministry with the church. We don't know for sure. But what we know is that their names are listed here forever for all of the church to be able to see that Paul gives them this dignity to say, these are women that matter and they're serving and working for the Lord. They're part of the biblical record and they're Paul's friends in the Lord. They've gone from working for themselves and others, excuse me, working for themselves and working for others. And it just, it just says to me, it doesn't matter how high somebody is on the social scale or how low someone is on the social scale, God can use people who say, yes, Jesus. No matter your history, no matter your background, no matter where, from where you've come, God can use you in a significant way. There is nothing that's ever happened before that can't prevent you from saying, yes, Jesus, I want to serve you now. You've been forgiven for all the bad, and Jesus wants to set you free to serve and be used by him. What a great thing to hear. Because, man, we've all messed up. We've all done things. We go, whew, I don't know. How could God use someone like me? And you know what he wants to. And in fact, people whose lives have been transformed and changed, those are the people that God really wants to use. If you think you've got it figured out, well, (laughs) you don't. God can't use you. But it's to say, here's my brokenness, Lord. Here's the struggle that I faced. Can you use me? Paul greets his friends. He greets women and men. And then also he greets workers. Uh, The English word for work or workers appears in verses 3, 5, 9, and twice in chapter 12. Uh, But in the original language, there's two different words that are used and are translated workers in English. Uh, In 3 and 9, the term fellow worker is used, which is sunergon. Ergon is where we get the word energy, and soon means with, with energy. Sunergon, synergon, synergy. Priscilla and Aquila and Urbanos are fellow workers laboring with Paul in the cause of the gospel. There is a synergy that they have with Paul because they share the same Savior and they share the same ministry. From Acts 18, they were tent makers, meaning that they had other jobs, but they engaged in ministry. And this is a great thing I think that's important for us to to remember and to realize is that, that Paul also was a tent maker. And that's a term that we use now in the church today for a person who has a job that provides their income, but also engages in ministry. So how many of us should have a job that provides our income and also be engaged in ministry? What percentage of Christians should have something to provide for themselves and also be engaged in ministry? 100, thank you very much. 100% of the people who are followers of Jesus should have something that provides for their family and also be engaged in the ministry. The ministry, this is a great example for us, right? Sometimes we just, in the Reformed tradition, right, being Presbyterian, we've sought to try to to remember that there's a priesthood of all believers. We learn that from the Bible, that every person is both a saint and a sinner because of what Jesus has done for us. But that means that all of us have a ministry, And everyone's ministry is going to look differently. Some people, like I said last week, have a proclamation ministry or a prophetic ministry 
Others have a service ministry. But all of us, all of you, has a ministry. Ministry in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community. It's not just for the professionals. In fact, we should all be professionals at ministry, cultivating our skills and serving and, and giving of our lives to those around us. And we see for Prisca and Aquila that this is their way of life, using their gifts to glorify God. But you see, if we're, if we're not careful, the church uh, can be, like I think it was Tex Schramm used to describe a football game. He said it's uh, 22 guys in desperate need of rest being watched by 60,000 people in desperate need of exercise. Because we, we can kind of say, oh, well, you know, what ministry is is speaking from a, a, a pulpit. And so I just come and listen. And there's an important part of us sharing the word together, right? That's, that's, that's important. But if it only means we come and you all come and listen and I talk, then, then that's not good. It's never going to spread. So you have a ministry. And this is what I talked about last week. What is your ministry? What, what are the, who are the people that God has called you to? And you only need to just look around your life. Who are the people that you spend time with? Who are the people that live near you? And look at that and say, what a great opportunity. Because when all of us engage in ministry, which is the, just the word to serve, then God's word spreads. And you get the benefit and the blessing of being an agent of God's restoration and healing in the world. And only God can tell you what it is for you to do. But I know many of you, in fact, overwhelming. Are we at 100%? I don't know. I think we're pretty close of you serving in your community. And so what I want to do is encourage you to keep doing that. And it's going to be different in different seasons, right? There are times when you have more capacity to serve outside your family and more time you have to give to the attention within your family. Sometimes you can spend more time serving in the life of the local church, the congregation. Other times you have more opportunity to spend out in, in the world, in the community. Whatever it is, just be, say, Lord, help me to do what you want me to do. Because here's the thing. This is what's awesome. Is it's not about the results that you get. It's not. It's simply obedience. It's just saying, Lord, I'm willing to obey you because you've commanded me to do it. And we want to celebrate obedience. We want to celebrate saying yes to the Lord and doing what he's asked us to do. It, it, you may be sharing with someone in a cubicle in your office, and you may feel like, well, unless that person says, I would like to be a Christian now, can you lead me through a prayer? We're not successful. And that is success. That's great. But you know what success is? Being willing to, in some way to, to say, you know, here's what God has been doing in my life. That is success. Whether or not they respond positively or negatively, that's success. So let's celebrate those wins when we are obedient to Jesus and we honor him. That's a great thing. So what's God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We are wanting to be workers, right? But what happens, though? What is work? Right? I, I had a chance, this, uh, I'm pointing here because this is where I shared it. I had the eighth graders, I do career day, I get to speak at career day, and they were sitting right here as they get ready to go off to high school, and I do a theology of work every time. Theology means words, about, uh, words of God about work, and so I, I go through what is work. And here's the fascinating thing, is that God gave work to Adam and Eve before the fall. So work is a part of what we're called to do, even before we had a broken relationship with God. Now, because we have a broken relationship with God, there are thorns and thistles. And so it feels like work, and it's hard. But it's part of what we're called to do. And we're going to have work in heaven when we get there. 
There's a word in Revelation that talks about that. So work is something that we're called to do, but sometimes work feels like work. And if we're going to serve in the church and we're going to serve in our community, there are times when it's going to feel like work, and that's okay. It is okay. How many of you worked in your yard in the last month? You worked outside, right? It's work, right? I did some work. We did some mulch last weekend, and we're pressure washing, and we're cleaning up things. We're cutting the grass, and it's work. It's hard. It's getting hotter. There's bugs. You get dirty. But you know what? When you have your garden in the way that you want it to be done, and the mulch is there, and you can sit out on the, pa- on the patio and have a glass of iced tea, it feels good, right? You're rested. You're tired, and it feels good. I mean, didn't it feel good that our Grizzlies went all the way into the second round and are way ahead of schedule for us to win the NBA championship next year? It felt good. It felt bad when they lost that game, but it felt good that they are ahead of schedule, and I'm excited. Did it take work? Did you read that article about Jaw in Sports Illustrated called In the Dark? Think about the amount of work that it takes those guys to get better at their craft and to do what they're doing. It takes work. But man, we enjoy the benefit. We don't do anything basketball-wise for the summer, but we just rejoice in it in the spring when they go all the way. Now, some of us play basketball in the room, but we get to enjoy their spoils. Think about this. We enjoy the spoils of all those who have gone before us to, to build the kind of church that we can be part of. And now it's our opportunity to use our gifts to serve this community and our community for the sake of the kingdom. What a joy that is. And we don't know exactly what God's going to do with our work, but we do it as an act of obedience, as a a way to just demonstrate God's love and kindness. Now, we know, of course, let's remind ourselves of this. We're living by faith. It's not what we do that earns our love uh, that we get from God. But if we have indeed been loved by God, James says, faith without works, is dead. So what are we going to do in response to what God has done? Will it just be new flowers, fresh mulch, or will it be transformed lives in our communities? And here's the thing. That may mean we have to cut something out of our life. Um, You know, there's a little app on your phone. Those of you who have a smartphone, uh, it's called Screen Time. And if you look at it, it'll tell you how many hours a day you spent on your phone. Now, I know everyone's on, you've got to make phone calls. Sometimes people actually use their phone to make phone calls. But there's a lot. If you look at that app, I was going to just get it out. Everybody get your phone out right now and pull it up, but let's not do that because then you'd be distracted by your phone if we did it. But if you look at your screen time, if you're saying, I don't know if I have time to do something, I would challenge you, look at the amount of time that you spent on your, on your screen. And maybe it's not a phone, it could be Netflix, or it could be a crossword puzzle book, whatever the case may be, depending on who you are. If you gave up some of that, would you have time to serve God? And I know for me, the answer is yes. And I'm wanting to be connected to what's going on in the world, but also, you know, uh, learning about Florida State recruiting right now is not really that big of a deal. because It's not going well, first of all. And second of all, like, do I really need to know in the summer what's happening? No. And we all have stuff like that. And so it's to say, Lord, let me use my time. I've only got so much time left. Have a sense of urgency about what my life should be about. Maybe it's just sitting down and saying, I'm going to pray for this congregation and for the children in this community, for the youth, for the college students, for the young adults. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for my grandchildren. I'm going to pray for my my president. I'm going to pray for the mayor. I'm going to pray for the congressman. Pray for the Senate. Pray for the Ukraine. Pray for Buffalo to take time and to say, Lord, let me use my time with a sense of urgency to be a worker for the glory of God. 
Because here's the thing. You're going to be tired from something in life. You're going to be tired from something. Because scrolling through and looking at all the news and listening to Fox News or CNN, whoever it is, talk to you about the problems of the world is exhausting. It's tiring. It wears you out. So wouldn't it be better to be tired instead by caring for someone, encouraging someone, loving someone, and not worrying about the rest? What would you rather be tired from? Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Work in the kingdom is joyful, even restful, because we know that Jesus is doing the work and we celebrate obedience. The last line of the chapter, or of this section, is verse 16. Uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Uh, this is one of five times that Paul greet, says, greet one another with a holy kiss, which is an exchange of brotherly friendship and fidelity. And it's a practice that we know the early church did. It's even in some of the liturgy after Paul's letters. Uh, it occurred before communion. It was, uh, it was later replaced by a bow, and today we use a handshake, you know, a bro hug, or even a fist bump during COVID. Whatever it is, it's an extension of friendship, of intimacy. I mean, think about it. When you extend your hand to someone, or when you give someone a hug, it's an intimate thing. It's a friendship thing. You know, we don't pass the peace anymore in the service, but, you know, it's possible that there are people that gather with us on Sunday who are never embraced or given a handshake at any point during the entire week. So if you feel comfortable, give somebody a hug or a handshake. Put your arm around them on the side. Say, hey, I want to bless you, my friend. And if someone bristles, then just don't do it next week, okay? Give people their space. Not everybody's a hugger. Um, we were going through the line one time, I'll never forget, and there were, there, were, there were three ladies that always want a hug, right? And their makeup is right here on the jacket, you know? And they always want a hug. And I remember Janie Akers uh, was coming by afterwards, and it was a hug and a hug and a hug. And Janie says, Matt, I don't want a hug. <laughs> I said, that's fine. We can do a handshake. Not everybody wants a hug, but some people need one. And the way you can bless them is to encourage them. And you don't have to give them a holy kiss but to say, I want to encourage you today. I love what Truett Cathy says. You know who needs to be encouraged? You know, you can tell. If someone needs to be encouraged, they're breathing. We all need to be encouraged. And here's the thing about kissing. There's a lot of kissing in the Bible. Some of it's sexual, some of it's not, but it's always intimate. Let me think about this. How was Jesus betrayed? He was betrayed with a kiss. The ultimate treachery is to approach someone in love but actually to put a target on their back. And here's the thing. When we have failed to walk in obedience to Jesus' commands to make disciples, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to walk in love, and we haven't done it, it's as though we are betraying Jesus. The psalmist writes, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Have we been faithful? Have we served him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? The psalmist goes on, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Yes, we have not been obedient in every way, but Jesus invites us into his presence. He says, even though you've betrayed me, just like Judas, I love you, and I want to set you free from ministry and service. See, the good news is that Jesus greets us 
He extends a greeting. He extends a handshake. He extends a hug, a welcome, a holy kiss. He welcomes us and offers us the kiss of peace, not because we're worthy, but because he is worthy. Not because we're faithful, but because he is faithful. Have you ever thought about the fact that anytime someone who is clean in the Bible encounters someone who is unclean, the person who's clean becomes unclean, and they've got to go through a whole ritual cleansing. But when Jesus encounters the unclean, he doesn't become unclean. The person he encounters becomes clean. You see, when we encounter Jesus, we become clean. We become set free to serve and to love and to bear his name in word and deed into the community. In light of his welcome, in light of his greeting to us, let us extend that welcome to those who need to hear it most. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.